Hey everyone, it's Pastor Micah, lead pastor here at High Praise Crestview. I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from today and go connect with us on social media as well. My prayer is that as you listen to this message, you're encouraged, blessed, and transformed by the power of the Word of God. Now open your heart and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you today. Oh man, thank you guys. This is just a real treat for Gina and I actually because we were pastoring in Nashville and we, we get to travel quite a bit. And But, uh, you know, meeting Pastor Mike and, Mike and Chelsea, like when we started talking, there was just a real heart connection years ago. And you never really like it when somebody says, I listened to your music when I was 12, you know? <laughs> That's kind of like a... <laughs> You know, I was like, yeah, I started writing when I was four, you know, and, uh, but I didn't. And, uh, but interesting, we were talking about it last night because some of the stuff that he used in the song, Winds of War, stuff like that, like, I wasn't a songwriter, you know, I actually was just, I was leading worship. I did not play an instrument and had not um, written any songs. And just little by little, God started kind of breaking down walls for me. Actually, my pastor put me in a position where I was like, He's like, hey, I need you to jump on the piano. And we're in the middle of revival in Kansas City. And I was like, I don't play the piano. And he's like, didn't you do music? And what I didn't tell him was I actually dropped my major because I didn't want to play the piano. And, and And honestly, I don't know how many of you in your life look back and think God was trying to train me. And I'm like, no, thanks. I'll do it later. And he's like, okay, you know, I'll do it on my own. And, and I had to. And my pastor's like, well, just jump on. He's like, can't you play anything? I said, I can play three chords, you know. Well, we were having revival, so we'd have a thousand people show up, and here I am on a piano having no clue what I'm doing. And that's just how pastors are, you know. They're not always just, they just don't care if you think it's a good idea or not. They're just like, you're going to do this. You're like, I've never done that. And they're like, perfect, you know. And doesn't that seem like the way God usually works too, you know. He's like, Abraham, you know, I know you're 90, but you're going to be a father of nations, you know. He's like, but I don't think I can do that, you know, and my wife is older too, and I don't think she's going to let me do that, you know, and, and seriously, you start thinking like, I mean, if I said to you, who's the oldest person in the room, and would you like to go ahead and start having babies right now, you know, you're like, yeah, it becomes real, doesn't it, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you get that shiver down your spine, like, I don't think this is a God thing, and, um, and that's how he always does it, you know, he goes to Moses, who's hiding in the desert, you know, for 40 years, he, he, ends up going to Gideon, who's hiding in a cave, and he calls him out, and God just called me out, and put me on a piano, and my pastor wrote a song, or actually wrote a sermon called The Winds of War, and I couldn't find a song for it, you know, and so I just thought, I think I can write a song, so I took some of his notes, wrote a song, and it's interesting, you know, as you go through your life, there's certain connection points and things that I never, you know, I wasn't sitting there thinking, someday I'm going to connect with a friend in ministry through this song. I'm just sitting writing the song, you know, and sometimes it's difficult because as you're on the journey, even in this, you know, um, it's, it's amazing to see the fruit of two years. Like this is, this is amazing. I know how hard it is to pioneer. You know, I know how hard it is to really push into a city and really fight for people. I know how hard that is. And to see all of you in here going as crazy as you are, you know, and I know some of you, that's not how you were raised. 
You know, some of you are like, this is crazy. Why am I here? You know, and then you're like, I have to go. And I, you know, it's like, what is this thing? And, but there's something in you that starts to stir. And what I love about it is that for so long, we've picked churches based on our personality. And, and we just, I just wanted to go where I felt like I didn't have to do anything. That's really what it was. It's like, well, if I like the high praise stuff, then I'm going to go to the high praise church. If I like the, you know, the quiet worship and I like all this is like, but we ended up, you know, building structures that actually made us more comfortable and less responsible. And God's actually put us in a position saying, that's not the way it's going to be. And when, you know, Pastor Micah would call and he would start talking about the, the gems of people that were coming and, and the types of people that were connecting here at the church, he, he didn't say you were as good looking as you are. Uh, he, yeah, he was like, they're not the greatest looking you know, group. I'm just kidding. Jeez, people. People are looking at me like, wow, that's not very nice. He didn't say that. Wow. Some people are like, okay, let me move on. No, but this is amazing to be able to come in and be able to, to be with you. Uh, just real quick, this is my wife, Gina. Gina and I met in Bible college, and she kind of floated in on a cloud, and um, hanging on was a boyfriend, so I had to get him to get off of her cloud, and <laughs> luckily he was a small guy and easy to take out, and they never saw him again, so, uh, but, so we just celebrated 25 years of marriage, and... And we have three kids. My daughter's 21, Jordan. I have a son who's 17 who's leading worship back at our church today. And then I have a 12-year-old son, Asher, who, you know, uh, is there anybody else in here who was like, I think I want to have two kids. And then you have the two. And you know how to not have a third, but somehow that third happens, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, you know? And then God's like, I'm going to put you on a joyride, you know? And Asher is our joyride. He is nonstop energy, life, and uh, so we love ministering with our family. And I want to kind of just take you, really, I want to take you on just a little bit of a journey with me today. I've, I've just been asking the Lord for you and some of the things that... I feel like God is wanting to speak into your life. And I know that it's easy to come into church. You know, we've, we've systemized it, and it's hard sometimes because, you know, most of you have gone to another church, you've been in church, and we come in, we sit in rows, and it's easy to, to listen, look at the back of somebody's head, and then walk out and feel inspired, but not really do anything with it. And I want to encourage you today, like what I see and what I feel in this room is God is doing something that is so radical that it's actually shifting hearts, it's shifting minds. And sometimes when you come in, you know, it's like, do we have to sing that loud all the time? Do we have to do, and, and, and I've told people before, you know, the Bible says that when you, you know, get a glimpse of heaven in Revelation, it says, you know, surrounding the throne, it's the sound of rushing waters. It's like, it's crashing in. It says, and they cry out, holy, holy holy, holy is the Lord. And I like to tell people, like, there's not a class when you get to heaven, like, hey, do you know the song, holy, 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 because that's his favorite one, you know? And when you get up there, like, he gets ticked if you don't sing it, you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, everybody together now, holy. It's like, oh, you don't like to sing? Okay, there's a room over here for you. It's like, no, there's not a room for you, you know? It's like, but the problem is, is like, they weren't taught to sing a song in there. What they were doing was they were all looking at the same thing. And I think for too many years we've taught people to sing and not how to see 
And so one of the things that you'll find is praise and worship, one of the things it does is it actually tears down, like Corinthians said, for the weapons that we fight with are not of this world, but they're powerful to demolish every stronghold, argument, and pretension that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. So think about it in this room. The goal is the knowledge of God, and the enemy is a toothless lion. It says he's roaring, trying, seeking whom he may devour. And here he is making a bunch of noise to try to create arguments and pretensions and trying to create strongholds to keep you from the knowledge of God because he knows once you get a glimpse of him, everything changes. I don't have to sit around like, do I sing this song or not sing this song? It's like, I will take every opportunity I can to declare the greatness of who he is. I'll take every opportunity. I'm not holding back. If you've seen him and you felt him and you know him, then there is not enough words. There is not enough songs. There is not enough praise. There's not enough worship. And I've had people tell me, like, don't judge me. I'm worshiping in my heart. It's like, that's just not in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It does something. Yeah, can you make noise and not have heart? Yeah, but I've never met somebody with heart that made no noise. And so God's doing something. And is it just so we can sing songs? Absolutely not. One of the things that God really, when he started radically shifting my life, was took me to Amos 5.23, and it says, I'm sick of your songs. I'm tired of your religious feasts. When's the last time you just sang to me? He goes, you know what I want? Justice to flow like a river, your mercy to run like a stream. And there's something that God is awakening in us, that there's something that's not just supposed to come to you, but there's something that's supposed to come through you. And there's something that's supposed to shift generational lines. There's something that the youth of this city need you to be. And I believe God is raising up a family. I believe it's not going to be a center of just youth and young adults or a center of seniors. It's going to be what, you know, Malachi says. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and sons to the fathers, and we're going to start needing each other again. We're going to like, I want to be with you. And there's something that's turning, and I love it that, you know, when we were talking yesterday and you were telling me, like, we have some people that are real, that are fathers, mothers and fathers, that actually have really been in a huge encouragement in our lives. And that's one of the things I believe that God is radically doing. So as, as we started journeying in this, my wife and I together, when I met her, she asked me if I wanted to go to these revival services. I said, I will go anywhere with you. And so, you know, I grew up pretty traditional. My dad, great-grandpa was a pastor, grandpa was a pastor, dad was a pastor. My, I have a picture of my great-grandpa baptizing my seven-year-old grandpa, and my future grandma was like four people behind them, and he's baptizing them in a river under this huge oak tree, you know? And so, like, there's history there for that. But, you know, my family went through a really hard time. The church was not um, super nice, and it really messed up the view of what church was for me. And when I went to college, met my wife, she ended up taking me this revival service, and it radically, radically changed my life. And... It is, one of, it is one of the first times that, you know, I was in Bible college, I was going through all the classes, and it was the first time that I would really say that I experienced the manifest presence of God in a way that I could audibly hear him speak to me. And 
it's never happened for me like that again, and I never tell people they should experience what I experienced. You know, sometimes church is so weird because we'll have an experience, and then it's like, now I want to just live at that level all the time. Like, I need that experience. I need that experience. But when Paul, how many of you know who Paul is? He was a terrorist going to kill Christians. He was on his way to kill Christians. He gets blinded by a light, right? And he turns into the greatest evangelist. So he goes from a terrorist to an evangelist. And, and it's crazy because I never see Paul sitting there like, God, I lost that blind feeling. Lord, please blind me one more time. You know? Seriously. And, I, and I've been in church long enough to know that's how people are. Like, Lord, I've lost that feeling. I've lost that. It's like, well, listen, the Bible says this. He says, return to your first love. Did the things you, you did at first. So there's something that we have to stir up in us. And when revival hit my life, it radically changed everything. It threw me into just a tailspin for what church was. And God started really undoing some things. And I became a pursuer of his presence. And there was something that, for me, I didn't realize he was building into me that was actually going to radically shift the trajectory of my life. And as, as we went and ministered a couple different churches, we eventually could, I just felt like I could not beg people to love Jesus anymore. And so we ended up moving to Kansas City to the revival, just being there. And through that, I became a youth pastor, then became a worship leader, and never expected I would do any of that kind of stuff. I started writing songs. God started really doing some crazy stuff to where those songs started going to churches around the world, and we started traveling around the world. We were in Uganda. We were in Malaysia. We were in Singapore. And here I am, like, I have no clue what I'm doing. I can't, I'm not a good piano player, right? I'm not, I'm still not a good piano player. My wife reminds me several times a week. And, um, you know, even songwriting, you know, first time I went into Nashville, they put me in with this guy who has all kinds of awards. And I sat outside the house and I told God, like, you have five minutes to cancel this. And I put my phone up, like, you don't know what you're doing, putting me in there, you know? And, and believe it or not, God didn't text me and neither did that guy, you know? And... <laughs> And so I went into the room, and, and God had a different plan for me than I expected. And I want to talk to you a little bit about expectations today, because as I've journeyed with God through the last, almost, I'm 47 years old, I'll be 48 years old in July, as I've journeyed with God through this, I've realized that there's a lot of times that we build images of something, and when we don't see it come to pass, then we actually shift away from our pursuit just because we didn't get what we thought we should get. And I think in this room, there's some dreams and some things that some of you have laid down, and God never intended you to lay that down. It could have been a timing, it could have been a fight. It could have been growth. It could have been because of maturity. I asked the Lord not too long ago, like, why did you make me a senior pastor? Our church is three years old. And I was like, I'm too old for this. Like, you're supposed to start this when you're like in your 20s, you know? And I felt God say, you wouldn't have known how to do this in your 20s. You would have not known how to do this. So you're asking me to give you something. You would not know what to do, and you would have lost it. And so God is doing something and I actually, I do want to point just quick to uh, today we're, is Palm Sunday. So I'm going to read that just so you know that I'm a Christian. And um, this is John chapter 12, verse 12. Listen to this. 
The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at that time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. This is really important for us, and and as I was just praying about it, I wasn't actually going to lean into a Palm Sunday talk, but as I was reading it, I realized, like, I don't know, you know, depending on your age, you've probably been through a lot of Easter services, you know, so you can hear that, and you can kind of go through it, like, I understand what Palm Sunday is, I understand how it works, all this kind of stuff, but the truth is, one of the reasons it's put in Scripture is to help us understand what types of people we are how humanity tends to do what it does. And this crowd that started together had an expectation on Jesus. And we all know the story that one day they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings. And then the next day, they're basically crying out, crucify him. Well, the hard part is, is the reason they shifted wasn't because all of a sudden they just got mad. They shifted because he did not meet their expectations of who they thought he should be. And the problem that I have with this is that there are churches all around the world who have gotten together to cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then when they don't see exactly what they think Jesus should be doing, then they start crying out, crucify him. They don't cry out, crucify him with those exact words. But what they start to do is they start taking control themselves and they start building systems that now when we start a church, we have to live up to the metric system that has been established by man and not by God. And men have started making excuses of why, well, God doesn't heal today because the apostles, you know, it's like it died off with the apostles. It's like, you know who created that? Somebody who didn't see a healing and had to come up with an excuse for it. Instead of sitting back and not, I don't know exactly why it didn't happen. I don't know why in this, all these people are coming and it says they all gathered together because they heard about another miracle. And there's a portion of scripture when Jesus is with the 5,000 and he goes away and hides and the, and the disciples come and they're like, what are you doing? The people, they are asking for you. And the word asking for you is the word zaitan. And the word zaitan actually means they're looking to control and manipulate you. They want to be in control of what you do. So they take Jesus and make him a genie. And I want us to actually examine our own hearts. And I want us on a Palm Sunday. I don't want my Hosanna to stop just because I didn't see something that I thought I should see. There's certain things that are supposed to happen in your city. And it's like, why didn't it happen yet? Maybe the pieces of the puzzle weren't together yet. 
Well, why don't we have a building yet? Maybe God wants to see how you'll steward this for a little while. Because church can be so transient where people come in based on their opinions and their frustrations. And it's like, listen, when we started our church in Nashville, I did not ask to be a pastor. I did not ask the Lord. Actually, I've been in church long enough and I've heard enough missionaries and things come in and they would tell you, you know, don't tell God you won't do something because you'll have to. Well, I'm smart enough. I'm not telling God I won't do it. So I started telling God, like, please make me a pastor. Like, I'm trying reverse psychology on him because I think, well, if I want to do it, he's not going to make me do it. And guess what? He still does it. He still does it. He still makes you do it, you know. So in that, one of the things that we started doing was I, I had this vision. I wanted to have church in a barn. Does that mean everybody should have church in a barn? Absolutely not. But God was doing something to me where I had actually, even in revival, had gotten caught up in the metric system of what makes revival work. And no longer were we just living revived. I was having to always try to perpetuate revival. But if I'm going to have to perpetuate revival, that means I'm constantly dying. And when you start to number the days of revival, what it does is it tells me that my kids are going to eventually die and they're going to have to have a revival themselves. And I'm thinking like, why? Why don't we just be a people who start living revived, start not relying on a church service to get my motor going. But when I come in here, I am equipped. I am challenged. I am given a sword in my hand. I'm given a tool to go out and build something. And I'm not sitting around here playing with swords with no blood on them. Sorry, I'm yelling a lot. They're used to it. All right, I feel better then. So in this, this really is supposed to be Jesus' triumph and entry, but they actually don't realize that the triumph is actually going to come through a death. And it's the one thing none of us want. I don't want to have to die to my own opinions. I don't want to have to die to my own traditions. I don't want to have to die to my own ways. I don't want to have to die. And in this, you'll start finding that Jesus is actually taking the disciples on a journey in this. And I absolutely love it because these guys had been with him. And I love the disciples because the guys that he starts to gathering are just, have you ever read it? Like, I actually think I could have been a disciple. Because they're asking the dumbest questions. And I was like, that's me, you know? And if I'm truthful, when you start studying the disciples, you'll find most of them were businessmen. They owned fishing, they owned, you know, they owned boats, they were tax collectors, they were physicians. And in that, he started taking them and he said, I've seen you steward certain things, and I'm going to take you into a kingdom realm and teach you how to steward it in a different way. And so here's the disciples, you know, walking around, do, 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 do. And all of a sudden, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, Right? Then they're walking down the street after that, and they're like, who do you think is going to be the greatest? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know? But, honestly, that conversation goes on in churches all the time. But Jesus looks at him, and he doesn't say you can't be great. He says, if you want to be great, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to become a servant of all. So we... Moved to Nashville. We get this house. The, just the, I'm not going to get into all that story. It was just a crazy thing. Um, we didn't have a job. The reason we left the church was because I felt God start to tell me I have too many kids with guitars and not enough shepherds. 
And I felt him say, would you raise some up? So I went to my pastor and I said, do you think this can happen in Kansas City? And he said, well, let's pray about it. And we came back two months later and my pastor said, I think this is supposed to happen in Nashville. So here we are. I've been worship pastor 15 years. And now we're going on a journey where we don't have a job. We're not starting a church. And my entire band with their kids, everybody left with us. So here we are going to Nashville. And now here's a weight of a responsibility for all of us. And I started asking God, like, what is happening here? Not knowing that God was planning things and moving us in position. And I didn't realize that through this, as I cry, Hosanna, 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 every time something shifted in a way that I wasn't comfortable with, I would start to say, like, are you, are you there? Like, what is happening here? And I'd want to start taking control of it. And through that, one of the things that God did was he sent a person to us who were really, um, that we know very well. She's, I think she's probably in her 80s at the time. And she came into my house. I hadn't seen her for a couple of years. She walked in and she said, Dustin, I had a vision about you last night. I've not seen her for two years. The first thing she does is want to tell me about a vision. That's the kind of people you need in your life, you know. And she goes, I was driving down. And she had never heard me talk about any of this stuff. She said, I was driving down and there was this beautiful green grass. And she said, I felt the Lord say, that's Dustin and Gina's property. So I took a left on it, and I drove up, and there was this huge barn, and water was pouring out of every hole in the barn, and people were walking into the water like this from every direction. And she said, what is that, Lord? And he said, that's healing for the nations. And she said, I looked around, and she said, I thought you said this was Dustin and Gina's property. I don't see their house. And she said, the Lord told me that I knew if I gave Dustin and Gina a property that they'd build me a house. So in this, what are we going to do now? We still don't have a barn. We still don't have any kind of potential. We actually don't have money, uh, which my wife likes to bring up quite often, you know. And um, so we were, we, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff, but we were in this rabbit barn uh, that we, finished, we fixed up. It was a, it fed about 150 people in this rabbit barn, and we would have worship nights. And they had had 300 rabbits in it. Very productive place. And... Um, <laughs> So we're, we're in there, and Jay and Myrtle, they're in their 70s. They own the property, not believers, and they had 40 acres beside us. And so I went to Jay, and I was like, what do you think about me buying that 40 acres? And he's like, I think we could do that. So we sat for two hours, and we shook hands on it, and he said, I'll actually finance it for you. So I'm like, because I told him, we don't have any money, you know, and he said, I'll finance it for you. And I said, okay. So we shook hands on it. And I'm thinking like, I've got all these dreams and these plans for this property. Well, I get a call the next day from Myrtle, who never calls me. Myrtle says, uh, city just offered us double property's gone. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? I was like, the devil just stole from me, you know? So I'm like going into warfare mode. And, and then all of a sudden I felt the Lord say, what are you doing? What are you doing? I told you to move towards something, but I didn't tell you that was going to be it. I want obedience. Obedience is success, not if you get that property or not. Like, I told you for you to drive and I'll steer. And I was like, all right. So next day, my wife and I are in the car, and she said, I feel bad that you didn't get that property you wanted, you know? And I was like, well, that's a great answer for me because I wasn't getting it for me. I was getting it for our, us, for our team. 
So about a month later, I get a call from a guy, and he says, hey, he says, there is a property in Thompson Station, which is five minutes from our house, and he said, it's actually one of the sites of the Civil War. It's called Homestead Manor. And in Homestead Manor, 1,400 men died on that property, coming across that property. It's got a huge event barn. It's got a 200-year-old house. It's got, um, you know, on the back of it, there's a place for a coffee shop. It's got 50 acres, and it is the center of that area. Well, I tell my wife, I was like, I think I'm going to go look at it. And she's like, well, I'll go with you. And I was like, why don't you just let me go first, you know? And she's like, no, I want to go with you. And I was like, okay, please just don't say, the house was built in 1819. I said, please don't say this house smells old, you know? I said, you'd smell old if you were 200 years old too. So let's be honest. So here we are, we go in, we walk this house. It's, it's about 7,000 square feet, it's three stories, it's got a cellar, incredible history. There's a cannonball sitting in, in you know, one of the areas because they found it in a tree on the property. And my wife and I are walking, she's like, I don't know how this would really work for a church, you know, and like we're talking about it. Then we walk outside and we see the barn. And the barn has no doors on it, no walls on it. It's a huge barn, it had a commercial kitchen in it and stuff, but no walls. Well, when I pictured the barn that the lady that our friend was talking about, I pictured one that had windows and water pouring out of windows. And I was like, how much more can water pour out of no walls, you know? And, and she looked at me and she was like, uh-oh. She's like, this is it. And I said, I'm going to put an offer in. She's like, we don't have any money. I was like, I don't think you need money until you, get, until you make an offer. She's like, I don't think you know how this works. So we tested each other, and I put in an offer, and we got it. And, and then she goes, now we need money. And so we went to a bank down the street, community bank, and we have no debt as a ministry. We've been, you know, we have like, we had like eight employees or something like that at the time. We had been paying, you know, a good amount of rent. So we had, we still had some, you know, something to show for it. And she says to us, this is so crazy. She says to us, she's like, well, how much money do you have? And we're like, well, how long do we have to get it, you know? No, we said, how much do we need? She said, a million dollars. And, and we said, and, and then we said, how long do we have to get it? And she said, 40 days. And she said, how much do you have? And I said, 40 days. And um, <laughs> that's how much we have. And, and she goes, she's like, can I just ask a question? Like, how are you going to do this? And the powerful thing about it is, this is where God always tells you, you know, like, this is great for your own life. He says, remember when I did this? Remember when I walked you through this? They do that all the time in scripture. Like, remember when I walked you through the Red Sea? Remember when I walked you and I was with you in the desert? And, he, and, and she said, years ago, 12 years ago, we made an album and we ended up raising $40,000 in 40 days for it. And we were sitting in the kitchen, and she didn't think we'd be able to hit 40,000, so she wanted to put 30, but we needed 40, so I went ahead and put 40. When we raised it, she, she danced around the kitchen, and my wife it doesn't really do that. So she's dancing, like super, like we hit it. And she comes up to me, and she's like, like, go ahead and tell me you told me so. And I was like, no. I said, but I am going to tell you someday God's going to ask us to believe for a million dollars in 40 days, and it's no different to him. That was 12 years ago. And you know what she did? She hit me on the head and said, let's not go there right now. And um, 
<laughs> so the lady said, okay. So in this journey of getting this property, God starts just doing some radical things. And we end up raising a million dollars in 40 days. On the 40th day, we go, oh, well, the 39th day, we go to a place that ministered. And we, when we go, we don't ask for any money. We don't ask for offerings, anything like this. And this place gets up and says, we, need, we needed $200,000. And the Lord said, do not tell them. Do not tell them that you need money. So I was like, okay. So they got up and they said, we want to take an offering for you. And they ended up giving us $136,000 in one offering. I don't know if you know ministry, but that doesn't happen. Okay. So we're on our way home, driving from Kansas City back to Nashville. And she looks at me and she's like, what are we going to do, though? We still have, we're still $64,000 short. About an hour later, we get a call from one of the um, ministries that actually had asked us to come out the same day, but we couldn't because we had already committed to this one. And as we're going out, one of the things that um, he calls and he says several things, but him and his wife get on and they said, hey, we wanted you to know that even though you weren't able to be here today, we wanted to take an offering for you and we raised $64,000. Yeah, so... So in this, you know, we're like, what is God doing? Well, in the midst of it, my dad, who is like my best friend, part of my ministry, my dad died the day before we got the property. And my dad had walked it with me and said, you know, this is it, man. You're supposed to get it, and I'll be here for your first service. And the first service there was his memorial. And I have so many questions, you know. But I refuse to be a person who cries, Hosanna, 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 and then look at a situation that didn't go exactly how I thought it should go, and then start to question everything about God. At that point, we end up getting the property, and God starts doing something radical. We put a coffee shop in it. We call it 1819. It's the age of the house. And all of a sudden, we have 3,000 people a week coming through a, a property. And I put a bench out for my dad. And I, put, I plant an oak tree for the oak of righteousness, display of splendor. Well, I wanted to start helping people in our community that were battling with depression and anxiety and suicide. And so we made that what we're going to, you know, we're going to put up on our walls, our mission statement for our coffee shop. We expect to see double-digit decrease in anxiety, depression, and suicide by giving people a place to belong to because everyone deserves a community of people. So here we are. We start that. We do church in the barn, and our first Sunday, it's like full. The second Sunday, it's fuller. We start putting on these, I get these doors that actually are all glass because I still want to open out and they all open out. And now the place is just flooded with people. And we have people sitting outside in 50 degree weather just to be together at church. But we've created a place that God starts radically shifting and say, I want a community. I want people who know each other. I want people who look in each other's eyes. And through this, the reason I tell you all of that story and some of the things that's happening is because God's doing something that actually could look just like this. It doesn't have to shift from this, 
But the metric system of our heart of disappointment and always trying to live up to the numbers or always trying to live up to the finances or always trying to live up to being the best, you know, better than every other worship team. Or, you know, we were talking about that. It's like it's like you can't start a church and not have phenomenal musicians, which you guys are mind blowing. Like I was like, wow, they are really good. And you do those songs really fast or I'm just old. You know, I was like, I'm out of breath on every song. Oh, my God. And um. But in, through this, we've had people who have come and sat on those benches. And through really radical situations, people have given their lives to the Lord. We have all through the week, we have things that are happening in the house. We have things that are happening in the barn. We have things that are happening out on, on, the, you know, on the benches. And here I am thinking when we move to Nashville, we're just going to travel and we're going to do music. And how is God going to provide for us? And God starts saying, why do you always put limits on me? And in this, you could get really good at crying, Hosanna, 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 and miss the fact that it's actually Hosanna to a king that's come to rescue us, not by taking all the government stuff away from you and taking all of the financial problems away from you, but by taking the power of sin and death off of you. And we forgot that there was something broken on the cross and there was something that was resurrected out of a grave that now gets to live inside of you. He says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives where? In you. And he's wanting to lead and guide, but many of us are still stuck in our metric systems of success. And we keep arguing with him every time he says, take a risk, give a little bit more, be a little bit more, show up a little bit more, talk to somebody in your city a little bit more, grab that person at Walmart, you know? Listen, there's the whole field at Walmart. They're always at Walmart. I was there this morning. I saw them, you know? But there's something that we're supposed to become that we've no longer become the risk takers. We become safe and we become in rows. And we, I call it the shut up, sit down, memorize, repeat thing where we hear sermon after sermon, sermon. I can repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. But nothing is changing when I walk outside those doors. And God is saying, I want something to shift. I don't just want people who cry Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna because they think I'm going to do everything they want. I want people who actually start to look in each other's eyes and listen to what happens. I'm almost done. Listen to what he does. This is in chapter 17 then. So we go from 12 to 17. And this is Jesus praying right before he is betrayed. So you would think that's a pretty important prayer, right? The prayer I'm going to pray right before I'm separated from everybody. This is what he says. This is verse, uh, verse 9. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united. Listen to this. They will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Then in verse 20, it says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe. 
you sent me. I have given, listen to this, I have given them the glory you gave me. This is so important of what I feel like God is doing and moving from the Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna and getting to sing the songs and do this stuff to recognizing that you are actually supposed to be the glory of God in this city. And the way that the glory of God is going to be revealed, he said it's going to be revealed by how you love each other. And I want to encourage you today that the reason we came out here, the reason that we, you know, stay up late, the reason that we, you know, hang out and talk is because we really love your pastors. And getting to listen to him, I hear him talk about how much he loves you. But we've had an upside-down system for so long where the pastor was the one who was supposed to love all of us, and we didn't love each other. And there's something that God is doing that is going to unify you where no one has the ability to get into our kids anymore. Because you know that there's another man in this church that's actually praying for your family and covering you. There's somebody else that'll speak life into you. When something happens financially, there's somebody in here that's like, I'll take care of that. I've got you. You're going to be okay. And it shouldn't be up to one person. It should be the power of all. And I've watched you sing the songs together. I watched you worship together. But now I want to watch you love together. One of the things that I did that I do not recommend to people was we did it in the round. And I didn't do our service in the round because I thought everybody should do it in the round. I did it because I want you to look at each other when you sing. I want you to point out each other and I want you to sing over each other and I want you to sing life into each other and I want you to recognize that there's somebody in this room that actually had, had even contemplated suicide in the last month and now here we are just singing songs not looking in each other's eyes saying like I don't want you to have to deal with that voice anymore thinking it's just going to get taken care of because we all just sing a song but no sometimes it's going to get taken care of because you reached out a hand and grabbed somebody and said I want to sit with you grandmas and grandpas in here you know we need you in our lives we don't we don't need listen we focus too much on on the ornamental stuff of the music and all that stuff it's like who cares, you know? I, I told my, my band every time we go into church, find the older, you know, couples and wrap arms around them and love on them for a minute and tell them, like, we love you. We want you in this room. And I said even ACDC's parent, the grandparents went to at least one concert, you know? And because that's like, that's my grandson. I'll never come here again, but that was my grandson, you know? But in this room, I know this isn't a powerful revival message, in the sense of what you think a powerful revival message is, but if it was so easy, you would have already done it. And everybody avoids these messages because they seem too easy and they seem too light and they're just stories, but the truth is God's starting to unite a people and and one of the things that we found on that property is he's actually bringing in business leaders and he's lighting them up. God's actually, you want to talk about crazy? God's bringing in men and women who actually, I believe, are going to fund some of the next move of God on the earth because they're actually really kingdom people. And they're coming in and they're saying like, I'm going to take care of that family. I want to take care of that family. And they're just looking around the room and they're not waiting for me to go to them going like, hey, could you take care of a family? 
They're looking in each other's eyes. They're inviting them over to their house. There's not a rich group, a poor group. There's not a white group, a black group. It's like we are the people of God. And I want to see your families come alive. And so can you just maybe stand up and just lift up your hands to the Lord, and I'm just going to pray over you, and then I'll turn it back over to Pastor Micah. Some of those stories today were actually, I told them because some of you in this room, there's certain things that God's actually leading you through, and you're not even going to know for 10 years, and all of a sudden, something's going to, you're going to realize like, oh, that was that. There was something that God had been speaking to you and pushing you into, and there's stories and history and stuff that we have no clue we're walking into, and God wants to do something, so don't, don't just throw it away and say, well, I'll never be that or I'll never do that. If God put the dream in you and he can resurrect bodies, he can resurrect dreams. And maybe the reason you didn't do the dream is because you weren't in the right place. And maybe this is a place that actually will support you, actually a place that'll speak into you. It'll be a place that'll champion you and you wouldn't have had that before. So who knows why you're in the room? But I also want to just dream for families for a minute because I believe God is awakening us to the family. He's awakening us to each other, to sons and daughters. And I just want to release that in this room. And I release a power of unity with your families. I release the power into your children. I release it into mothers and fathers and into grandparents. And I ask God that you would give us a heart for each other and you would cause us to walk as one. We don't want to be a people who are out here just crying, Hosanna, 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 like we're all one voice, like we're all one people, and then we shift. But we want to be a people who even stand against the grain. And I pray as we do that you would revive dreams dreams that have been lost. I pray in this room that there are radical stories written because someone stepped out and did something that was a risk in other people's eyes, but it was faith in yours. Remove every barrier, every hindrance. Remove every stronghold, remove every argument that we might know you. And in knowing you, we get to know ourselves as sons and daughters of the King. And we get to rise up and be who you called us to be in Jesus' name.